Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Fusion Church, 6 a.m. soap. How you guys feeling? Come on, we're in a good one today. John 17. Um, really excited for this one. Uh, there's, but there's so much. There's just there's 26 verses in this chapter, and it's the prayer of Jesus um, right when he's about to be betrayed, and um, it's a long one. So there's no way we can cover um, this entire chapter. I would need like. Through probably three or four sessions um, to really cover this thing, but I'm gonna do the best I can. All right, in the, in, in the brief time that I have. Um, so John 17. Um, I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna jump right into it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning, Lord God. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for what you're doing in, in the life of Fusion Church, Lord God, and just the, the, the amazing blessings that we're having, Lord God. So, Father, I pray that you would just continue to, to be with us wherever we're at, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would it would be you that's speaking today and not me, Lord God, that I would just fade to the background, Lord, that you would speak to the minds and the hearts of, of each and every one of my brothers and sisters listening in this morning, Lord God, or listening later on on the on the podcast or the blog for God. So just be with us and, and we just love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Give that good stretch. All right. John 17, um, verses 1 through 26. That's the entire chapter. And I am reading from the New King James Version. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the word that was. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known all that all things which you have given me are from you. <clears throat> For I have given to them the word which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours and all mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you have, those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these were things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as just as I am not of the world. 
I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as just as I am out of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for the sake for, for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that, that, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known you, have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and I will and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen. Amen. All right. So we can break up this prayer of Jesus into three sections. Verses one through five, um, Jesus is praying for himself. 6 through 19, he's praying for his disciples. And then from verses 20 through 26, he's praying for all believers that were that, that are going to come um, throughout all the generations. Now, the Bible, the entire Bible is filled with a lot of great prayers, right? From from all different, you know, men, men of God in the in the word, you know, in Solomon's prayer in First Kings. A uh, Abraham's prayer in Genesis 18, Moses, his prayer in Exodus 32, all these prayers. But but this prayer is is by far the greatest that's recorded in the in the Bible. You know, m- many of us know what it is to hear a, a true man or, or a woman of, of God be deep in prayer. There's 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 something, you know, holy and awesome about it. Far beyond all that was was this prayer Jesus prayed to his God and to his Father. All right, this is the only long, continuous prayer of Jesus recorded in the Gospels. All right, we you know other parts of the Gospels, you know he he prays, you know he prays here and he prays there, but this is the longest continuous prayer that is recorded and recorded. And the 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 sentences are simple, the but the ideas are deep and they're meaningful. There's, there's no voice which has ever been heard, either in heaven or on earth, more exalted, more holy, more fruitful than the prayer offered up by the, by the Son of God himself. See, see genuine prayer often reveals a, a person's you know, innermost being. You know, so this, is, this, this chapter is a unique opportunity to see the nature and the heart of Jesus. See, in, in this prayer, Jesus, he's going to touch on many of the of the themes, you know, that have been, already been developed throughout John's gospel. Right. So but there's there's something very special and, and different about this prayer. He didn't just Jesus did not just pray 
you know, just as he, as he told his disciples to pray. This, you know, uh, there, there's one quote that says, this request of our Lord that's given in John's chapter is clearly no prayer of an inferior to a superior. Constantly, there is seen in it the co-equality of the speaker with the Father. The two have but one mind. Where the Son speaks, he is not seeking to bend the Father to him. Rather, he is voicing the purpose of the Godhead. So when we read throughout this prayer, you know, he's praying to his father, but he's also praying as equal to the father. And that's what's very unique because only Jesus could pray, you know, and show that equality with God, the father. Right? Yes, God, the father, God, the son, you know, and, and he's praying up to the father, but you know, but it's actually it's as, as, as he's praying to an equal partner in all of this. And all throughout the New Testament, it tells us that Jesus has an ongoing present work of intercession for his people. Romans 8:34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. It says he lifted up his eyes to heaven, right? This, this indicates the physical posture of Jesus as he prayed. This is, this is a posture that we don't usually associate with, with uh, people who are in deep prayer. You know, we often say, you know, at the end of service, you know, bow your heads, close your eyes, you know, but Jesus prayed more in the custom of uh, and what was common in his day. It wasn't common for people to, to, you know, bow their head and close their eyes and put their head down and all this. It was more common for them to actually pray as if they were trying to look to God. John eleven forty one 41 says, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Psalm 123, verse 1 says, unto you, I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Charles Spurgeon has a, an amazing quote about this. In, in the sacred record, however, much more space is taken up by our Lord's intercessions as he nears the end of his labors. After the closing supper, his public preaching work ended, and nothing remaining to be done but to die, he gave himself wholly unto prayer. He was not again to instruct the multitude, nor to heal the sick, and in the interval which remained before he should lay down his life, he girded himself for special intercession. He poured out his soul and life before he poured it out unto death. Lifting up his eyes to heaven indicates that Jesus looked up in, in a hopeful sense and was not, not gloomy or downcast in his prayer. This is actually a prayer of, of faith, a prayer of confidence that he had, even a prayer of victory, all while, while acknowledging the reality of the conflict that he was about to go through. This, this prayer is made with, with a heart and mind looking towards heaven. Jesus, listen. Jesus made no mention of his problems or, or the, the, the decisions he was going to have to make. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't uh, praying about, you know, I'm, I'm about to be killed. I'm about to be tortured. No, he was praying for all of us. He was praying for his disciples. 
right? His heart and mind were fixed on higher things beyond his present circumstances. He was, he was pledging himself to the absolute fulfillment of God the Father, his will, no matter what the cost. And he was doing this so that eternal life could come for each and every one of us. This is a, this is a prayer that's deep um, and rich with relationship. He prayed with, with full and deep sense of, of, a, of a familial relationship and the natural hierarchy of order that exists between God the Father and God the Son. He says, glorify your son. Jesus prayed first for himself, but his petition wasn't selfish. His concern for himself was actually a concern for the glory of the Father. The son can only glorify the Father if the Father first answers the prayer of the son. Glorify the son. And it is going to be the cross that's, that, that's going to ultimately glorify the Son. The cross was the ultimate humiliation to the world. It was, it was the way the Romans executed people. And the way they executed prisoners and criminals was, was to began with humiliation. You know, we have that picture of, of the cross way up on the hill, right? You know, on the distance, that's what you see when you see movies and you see, you know, depictions of, of crucifixion. But crucifixions actually took place on the roadways so people could see the person being punished. After they were scourged, they were beaten, they were flogged, they were stripped naked, and they were no more than, than two to three feet off the ground. So people could see the humiliation. But this, this, this means of humiliation, it was going to be an, instru an instrument of, uh, of glorification in God's eyes. This, this is an aspect of the foolishness of, and the weakness of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. God was going to use the humiliation of the cross to bring glorification to himself. The, glorif the cross glorified Jesus, the son, and displayed the wisdom and the power of God. Yet it also glorified God, the father, by displaying his wise plan and great sacrifices and giving the son to do such work. Verse two, he says, as you have given him authority over all flesh, Jesus claimed to have authority over all flesh with the ability to give eternal life. This is a clear and startling claim to his deity. No one but God could truthfully and knowingly make this claim, but Jesus made this claim. This gives us so much new hope to the divinity of Jesus, knowing that Jesus has authority over all flesh. Even for those who, who are ignorant or reject Jesus, even if they do not know it or acknowledge it, Jesus has authority over them. Even those who, who, who deny who Jesus is, even those who, who curse Jesus, Jesus still has authority over them. So we can pray in faith and ask Jesus to, to exercise that authority over those who have yet to repent and believe. 
is it goes on that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Jesus understood that he was and is the one who grants eternal life to those given to him by the father. This indicates something that, that we can hardly understand as, as a division of labor between, you know, uh, uh, and the work of salvation between the persons of the Godhead. Verse three, and this is eternal life that they may know you. This is what it was all about. Jesus wanted people to know who the father was. Jesus, what his mission was to bring us to the father. Eternal life is found in knowing both God, the father and Jesus Christ, who is God, the son. Eternal life means that that we are alive and active to do uh, to uh, and active to God's environment. If God does not affect our life, then it can be said that we do not know, we do not have, or experience eternal life. If this is true, then we exist as if, as if we were dead to God. If God does not affect your life in any way, do you really have eternal life? That's a question between you and him. But if God has affected your life, it should should be seen. Your life should be different. Doesn't mean your life is perfect because you know who God is. Doesn't mean that you're, you're this holy person, that you're just, you're floating above everybody with your holiness. No, but your life should be different. You should see things different. You should experience things so much different. But if you claim to be a Christ follower, but you're still, you know, just down in the dumps and everything, woe is me. And, you know, and, and, and by your interpretation, your life is just going to hell. Well, then have you really experienced the eternal life that is, that, that comes through Jesus Christ? Or, or, or are you just, you know, just kind of just playing the part of church? You know, you're just, you're just kind of showing up because you have to, you know, and there are those we see in the church who are like that, you know, where they, 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 they may come to church faithfully, right? And every time you talk to them, hey, brother, hey, sister, how you doing? Oh, well, you know, woe is me, all the, okay, you may have, you, you may be going through some life, right? Life may be kicking your butt, but are you focused on this life? Are you focused on, on eternal life? Are you, is, where's your focus? Are you focusing on the Lord? Verse four, I have glorified you on the earth. Jesus did not wait until his work on the cross to glorify God the Father. His entire life glorified God on the earth. He, he, he glorified God through his entire life, from all the way from his dedication at the temple to, to his, his, his years of, of obedience in Nazareth before he even uh, made himself public with his ministry. He says, I have finished the work. Jesus, with with divine confidence and assurance, saw the work on the cross as already finished. Of course, you know, there there was a sense that his work wasn't finished yet. He still had to go to the cross. But since Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundations of the world, according to Revelation 13, 8, there's a greater sense in which the work was already finished, completed in the heart and mind of God. Now it just had to be done. And there's a similar sense in which God sees our, our own work of transformation and, and perfection as already complete before the fact. Now it just has to be done. So now he, he moves on and he's going to pray for his disciples. You know, he says, I have manifested your name in verse six to the men whom you have given me. 
Jesus thought about the years of ministry and teaching with his chosen disciples. He did not simply teach about the name of God. He manifested that character of God. He lived out the love and goodness and righteousness and grace and holiness of God the Father. He manifested God's name to each of them. And believers today, you and I, we have a similar call and duty. Paul wrote that believers are like living letters read by the world, according to 2 Corinthians 3. We have the responsibility to manifest the name and nature of God to a watching world. Everyone who knows that we claim to be followers of Christ is watching you. You are a testimony of Jesus Christ. So how are you living out your testimony? How are you, how are you displaying the love of God? Because I'll tell you right now, if, if you come to Fusion Church and you have one of those Fusion you know, stickers in the back of your window, people automatically think, you know, you are, you know, that, that you're a Christ follower and, and, and whatnot. But if, but if you're driving down the road and you're, you know, you're weaving in and out of traffic, you're yelling at people, you're throwing some uh, certain hand gestures, you know what I'm saying? That's not really a good example of, uh, at all of who Jesus is. Your family, who knows you go to church, you believe in Jesus. You are a living letter read by everyone around you. Jesus, he, he specifically had his disciples in mind when he was saying this portion of his prayer. He did not pray in a general sense for the world here, but he prayed for the disciples who would carry his message of love and redemption to the world. When Jesus said, I do not pray for this world, it was not because he did not care about the lost or, or in a fallen world. It was just to focus just in this portion um, uh, on his disciples. Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine. Jesus already spoke of the shared glory between God the Father and God the Son. Here he spoke of their shared role in the life of the redeemed, that believers belong to both the Father and to the Son. Everything we have belongs to God, but not everything that he has belongs to us. Anyone can say all mine are yours, but only Jesus could say, and yours are mine, right? This again shows the, the, the relationship between God, the father and God, the son, that they were, that they're equal, right? In one sense, there is a hierarchy, but in another sense, they're on the same playing field. I am glorified in them. This is what it means to be a believer to be born again, to be a true follower of Jesus, to, to have him glorified in us. Jesus doesn't want to just live in the believer, but be glorified in them. No one other than Jesus should be glorified in the believer. And leaders have a tendency to glorify themselves and their fathers and their followers, excuse me, right? How many, how many times have we seen leaders who, you know, they walk around, you know, like, uh, like they can't be touched, you know, and they want the attention to be put on them, how they dress, how they look, how they talk, what they drive, you know, and, and, and it's horrible. That's horrible because the focus is being placed on them. The focus is no longer on Jesus Christ. It's on themselves. And that is wrong. And Jesus is telling us this. 
Our focus should only be on Jesus. We should constantly be striving to just glorify Jesus. And then beginning with verse 20, he's going to talk to other believers. He says, verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone. See, he already prayed for his 11 disciples. At this point, Judas had already had already uh, left after the, the supper, the last supper. And so just 11 disciples left. So he just prayed for those 11. But he was also had he also had the heart and the vision to pray beyond them. He prayed for those who would who who would come to faith by the testimony of the disciples. He prayed for us. You and me, everyone on this call, everyone who's going to listen to this later on, everyone who is who who is a Christ follower, Jesus took the time to pray for you. Think about that. That's that's you know that's something that you know we we may read and just just kind of fly over, you know. We say things like, you know, when he went to the cross, he was thinking about you, and that's a nice thing to say, right? You know, to get our emotions right. But according to John seventeen, he was praying for us. It's the Bible. It's gospel. It's truth. He was praying for you. He was praying for James. He was praying for Carolyn. He was praying for Nicole. He was praying for Christy, Yolanda, Patrick. He was praying for you. He knew he was about to die. He was going to be tortured and brutally executed. Yet he had the heart and mind to pray for you. How much more should should our love for Jesus be to know that he was taking the time to pray for you? He says in verse 21 that that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Earlier in this prayer, Jesus prayed specifically that the 11 disciples um, present um, of at the prayer and that, and all this would, would remain unified throughout everything that was going to happen. But here he was broadening the sense for all believers. It shows that unity among, among the broader body of Jesus Christ was, and is very important to Jesus. The, see the one, the oneness that Jesus had in mind was the unity that comes from, from the shared life in both God, the father and God, the son. Jesus had in mind the true unity of the spirit. We must believe that this prayer was answered and that the church is one. Our our failure is in failing to recognize this and, and walk in that divine act. Listen, the church has done more, the capital C church, over the generations, has done more to cause division than what Jesus was praying for, right? Let's just be real. How many denominations are there within the Christian church? How many different types of people call themselves Christians, right? I I think, I I don't even know if we can count the different sects and denominations and groups and, you know, uh, who all claim to be Christ followers. And when you try to bring different denominations together, Right. There's always there's always competition, always competition. It's horrible. The How are we supposed to show the unity that is in Jesus Christ if we as Christ followers can't even be unified? 
it's sad. It's sad. Prior to us coming here to Cumberland County, you know, and I've said this to a few people and, 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 you know, and Doug, you know about this and whatnot, is that we went and, 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 and we tried to make contact with as many churches here in this community, in this county, Violent Millville, Bridgeton, other churches, other ministries, right? Just to say, hey, Fusion Church is coming to Cumberland County. We would love to partner with you. We would love to pray with you. We would love to, to, to pour into your ministry. What are the what are the big the, the big items that that's on your heart? What are the outreaches that you guys are passionate about? How can we support that? And I had more people um, not answer my emails, refuse to take my calls, straight hang up the phone on me. Right? I had a I had a I had a, a church here, a pastor. Tell me over the phone, I want nothing from you guys. Click. Where's the unity? Where's the unity? You know? And it was, and as as the guy who who was called upon to 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 to, to launch this new location, that really like that disheartened me. You know, like how like I'm I'm coming into to hostile territory, right? Now it's not all doom and gloom, okay? Because there were there were plenty of other pastors who were very open, who who wanted to meet, who wanted to sit down and break bread, have a cup of coffee, and just talk ministry, just talk Bible. You know, there there's even 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 a lesser group of those who um, uh, one in particular that still here we are over you know a year and a half since we launched. This man still texts me and emails me just to say I'm praying for you praying for Fusion Church, you know, and he's an executive pastor at a pretty big church here in Violin, you know, still praying. So there is still unity, right? There is still unity. And through this unity, one of the, probably the, the, the greatest testimony of all of this was that Pastor Jose came to Fusion Church because his church was one of those ministries. You know, when he, when he was a senior pastor of, of his own church, he was leading his own church, you know, and he and I just, he and I just formed a relationship, formed a, a pastoral bond, you know, and how can we as, as two younger heads in, in the ministry come together? And through a series of events, here we have a worship pastor at Fusion Church who has arguably taken the, the worship experience and the creative experience to a whole new level. That's what the body of Christ needs to be doing, coming together. How can we do it? And this is what Jesus was praying for 2,000 years ago, praying for unity amongst the believers. There should not be a Methodist church and a Pentecostal church and a Baptist church and all these churches. There should only be the church of Jesus Christ, the church that he is the head of, that he is the focal point. We can argue semantics. We can argue different things. Well, I don't, I don't believe this theology. Who cares? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is? Do you believe that he's the son of God? Do you believe that he came, he died, and he resurrected on the third day, and he's seated at the, at the right hand of the Father, and he is making intercession for us? Do you believe that? Well, if you believe that, let's come together. Let's come together in unity. All right, I'm going to end it. I'm already past my time. 
I'm going to move all the way to the last verse, verse 25. Oh, righteous father, Jesus says. Jesus was about to go to the cross and undergo the entire ordeal of his passion. And all of it was planned and sent by God the Father. And over the next few days, next week or so, as we're getting into Easter, we're going to really start, you know, all of us who who who, who have the privilege of speaking um, the, in the morning are going to be starting getting into all of that. You know, how, how Jesus died, yet knowing where he was about to go, knowing what he was about to endure, Jesus was still full of love and honor towards the Father. Because he cried out in his prayer, oh, righteous Father. He understood that his soon-to-be, you know, endured pain did not, did not diminish the righteousness of God, even in the smallest of ways. No matter what you're going through, no matter what hell you're going through, it does not diminish the righteousness of God. God is still all-powerful. He is still on the throne. Jesus is still making intercession, intercession for us. I have declared to them your name and will declare it. Jesus declared to his disciples in the world the name of God the Father. He lived out the character and nature of God, as Hebrews 1.3 says, uh, as the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Jesus prayed that the same love that was his strength and sustenance would fill his disciples. Jesus' love for, for the Father is what sustained him, what kept him going. His love for you and I is what sustained him and kept him going. If he did not love us, listen, and I'm going to close with this. Jesus did not have to die on the cross. Jesus wanted to die on the cross because he knew that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we would be saved and have eternal life and we could spend eternity with him. Because Jesus... And I hope you guys, as we've been going through this plan leading up to Easter, you know, like Jesus is kind of a big deal. He's the son of God. He is God. He could have done anything. He could have chosen to not do it. As the word says, he could have, he could have called down legions of angels to stop it, to rescue him. But he knowingly went to the cross. He knowingly endured everything that he went through and we're not going to get into it you know i was already looking at for for, for next week when i when i have the, the the honor of speaking to you guys and and we're going to get into some, into some of the brutality that he went through that he chose to go through for you and this prayer proves that as he was about to go through it and as he was going through it he was thinking about you he was thinking about you he was thinking about johnny he was thinking about Claudette. He was thinking about Paul. He was thinking about Frank. Those aren't just, just nice, nice, cute words to make us feel good. No, those are that's, that's reality. That's fact. Jesus Christ had you in mind every step of the way because he was looking forward to the day that we would be beyond this world and we would be in glory with him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that, that you were always thinking about us. You, were, you always had us in mind. You only endured the brutality of the cross because you knew at the end of it, we would be with you. We would be in eternity with you. We would be in glory with you. So, Father, thank you, Lord, 
that we were not just an afterthought. We were not just a, 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 a consequence of, of your death, burial, and resurrection. No, you, you, we were the reason for it, Lord. So thank you, Father, that, that we are so important to you, Lord. Father, I pray that as my brothers and sisters who are listening to this right now, whether here live or later on, that when they go through times and trials and tribulations where they are, where they feel at their lowest, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will remind them, Lord, that they are not at their lowest, Father, because you are with them. You have that, that they have always been a part of you. They have always been important to you. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing. I praise you, Lord. There's no, there's no amount of thanks that we can give to you that, that is equal to what you have given to us. Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. All right, brothers and sisters. Whew, listen, man, there was so much more I could have gone through. So please do me the favor. Go back. Do some more study of this prayer of Jesus Christ. There's so much more that we can unpack, right? But you guys are all able to do this study yourselves. So get into the word, dig into it, okay? And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to one of us. I would be more than happy, you know, because if y'all know me, I love, I love, I can dig into this stuff, right? And, I, and I'll, I'll keep going. Nicole, I'm about to keep going, you know, for the next like hour and a half. Let's go, you know? But honestly, dig into it. God wants to speak to you, amen? Love you guys.